This is a GRDC podcast. Strategic deep tillage is one of the soil amelioration options being investigated by researchers in WA to overcome soil constraints such as water repellents and subsoil acidity and compaction. Hello, I'm Tony Crowley. And in today's podcast, Dr Steve Davies from WA's Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development gives us an insight into the occasional tillage practices that are helping grain growers improve crop establishment and grain yield. GRDC podcaster Deb Bishop met up with Steve about 130 kilometres northeast of Perth in the state's central wheat belt. We're here near a site near Gamelling in Western Australia and here we've got a a pale um, deep yellow sand which has really got a range of soil constraints so soil water repellents, uh, subsoil compaction and subsoil acidity and one of the ways that we're sort of dealing I guess with these types of constraints is through the use of strategic deep tillage so these are occasional deep tillage options which are really designed in um, to actually actually overcome those constraints and, and get better productivity out of these soils. So this is a project that has come out of the Soils Constraints West Initiative? Yes, so um, this is um, part of a collaboration that we have with um, a consultant that works in the area, Tim Boys from Agvivo, and um, really it's one of several sites that we've got in the area where we're comparing a number of strategic um, deep tillage treatments um, as part of the Soil Water Repellents Project, which is one of the projects within the Soil Constraints West Initiative. What makes it so important to identify your soil constraints to optimise profits? Well, look, it's really important because we really need to sort of understand the, the um, I guess, the, the group or the, the package of constraints that exist in a soil. Because if we don't sort of deal with all of them, we often find that uh, we don't really get um, as large a benefit um, from the soil amelioration treatments. We also find, certainly find, that the benefits don't last as long if we still have um, constraints. Uh, operating in the soil. In the central grain belt in WA, what would you consider the better options or, or, or the options that are available for deep tillage? So look, we've got a range of options really and they kind of fall into um, I guess three main categories. Uh, one's kind of just the soil loosening, deep ripping type option. So those options use obviously deep working tines which um, can remove the subsoil compaction but they basically leave the topsoil um, largely unchanged. It does depend a little bit on the type of ripper being used, but generally it doesn't change the topsoil too much. Then we've got tools which really um, are kind of deep mixing the soil, often to sort of 35, 40 centimetres deep. And that seems like a rotary spader or sometimes even um, you know, large offset discs and they can be used to mix the soil. And then we've got another range of tools which are really about trying to um, invert or partially invert the soil where we're really trying to tip the soil right over and put the topsoil in it um, in depth and bring subsoil up to the surface. Steve, for growers considering implementing deep tillage practices, what should, uh, should, what should growers keep actually in mind about that? Well, yeah, there's a number of things growers uh, need to do um, in the lead up to soil amelioration. They do need to do some soil testing and things to understand, um, well, again, exactly what their constraints are and whether they need to um, apply things like lime and that before they get into the amelioration itself. Uh, once they've sort of um, done the soil amelioration, it's really important to, um, to get the paddock preparation right, um, ready for seeding. And that might involve um, making sure that any um, stumps or rocks that have been brought up by the amelioration are removed and really even just some paddock levelling 
um, and making sure any furrows and things are filled in. Um, some growers like to sort of roll the paddock a bit first um, before they seed, just to give a bit of a firmer seed bed. But growers really need to think about, um, even before they get into the amelioration, like how they're going to seed this paddock. We do find that these soils are very soft, quite difficult to seed, so it's good if growers have got an idea of how they want to actually manage that so that they do get some good establishment and good crop cover in the first year. And then uh, really beyond that, um, it's really helpful if growers are, have got a controlled traffic farming system because that means that you know they've loosened the soil, they've taken away the compaction, and really within a controlled traffic system, we're just trying to maximise that benefit of removing that compaction by not driving all over the soil again. So that's really the ideal uh, scenario. Steve, for this particular site here at Gamelling, uh, what are the yield and establishment benefits uh, that you've seen or, or that you've been measuring? Yeah, so um, in 2017 was the first year of the, the experiment and what we saw in that year was that um, the soil inversion with the mobile plough gave a yield increase of about 450 to 600 kilos. It was a very dry, challenging year for this site, so that was still um, a really good yield response um, to have. And then, but what we found was that it was uh, any treatments which had the very deep ripping where we sort of um, loosened the soil to a depth of about um, 60 to 70 centimetres. Uh, that gave us a yield response of about 500 to 750 kilos. Then in terms of um, crop establishment, it was quite a um, dry start to the year here um, and the repellents um, did express itself. So what we sort of found was that um, in the treatments which haven't changed the topsoil at all, so the, the untreated um, control treatments and the deep ripping treatments, we had about 90 plants per metre squared. But in the plants where we had um, deep soil mixing or soil inversion where we'd actually overcome the repellents, we had about up to 140 plants per metre squared. So really 50 plants per metre square more. So it was quite a significant benefit in crop establishment. So, so you've got options there, but you were, you were saying to me earlier that uh, a couple of sites just 20 kilometres away are returning some quite different responses. And that is why it makes it so important to know your soil. Yeah, that's right. So um, we found that we've basically got two, two sites. One's a, a sand over a clay gravel, which actually has quite good water holding and nutrient holding capacity at depth. And the site here is a deep yellow sand and it's actually got quite poor water and nutrient holding. So what we're sort of finding is that, um, you know, like with the soil inversion and the deep soil mixing, we're getting really good responses to those treatments on the site, which has um, better water holding capacity and more clay at depth and, and really gives us a good yield potential that um, we can actually fulfill. Um, at the site here on the deep yellow sand, um, you know, understanding that we've only got poor, fairly poor water holding has been quite important because even though those same mobile plough or um, deep soil mixing treatments have sort of given us in a sense a high yield potential, we've found in both the seasons so far that with the, the dry end to the season, um, they haven't really been able to meet that yield potential. And the most important, I guess, treatment at this site has actually been the very deep ripping, which has really allowed those crop roots to um, grow deeper into the soil and access more of the subsoil moisture from depth. So it's essentially not a one-size-fits-all model, is it? No, it isn't really. It's, it's about both understanding that combination of constraints and also understanding your soil type and saying, OK, what yield potential can I realistically expect and what's it worth me doing as a result? So do you suggest it's best to use multiple tactics? 
Yeah, look, generally it is. I mean, generally we're still certainly dealing with multiple constraints and um, that often we find that, you know, we'd certainly need to, um, say, apply some lime to deal with the soil acidity and then maybe have some way of incorporating that, which could be through um, topsoil slotting um, with a deep ripper or it could be something like the soil mixing. So we tend to find that in general those things um, are, are really worth doing, but if you've got a really, um, I guess, poor or weak sand, um, you've got to be careful how much money you invest in a soil which still has an inherently low yield potential. Now the soil water repellent project, what are the, the latest results stemming from that? Yeah, so look, I guess some of the key findings um, that we're finding from that is that um, we're really getting um, good long-term benefits from some of the soil mixing and soil inversion treatments. Um, we're finding that we're getting um, better weed control, um, we're getting better crop growth, um, and we're certainly getting better yield, and that really some of those benefits are, are lasting for 10 years or more. Um, but we also are looking at other, um, I guess, less costly, um, lower intervention treatments, things like um, soil wetting agents, and um, on-row sowing. And uh, we're certainly finding that, um, for example, on-row sowing is actually a really um, quite an effective way of improving crop establishment across a range of soils. And we're finding that with sort of the banded soil wetters that they're, they're working very well on the, the forest gravels in the southwest. Now, um, there's been some uh, pretty innovative work done by some PhD students who've been assisting uh, on this project. What actually has been their role? What, what have they been contributing? So look, this, um, the Soil Water Repellents Project is really um, quite a broad um, research program and we're actually looking at things from the really basic fundamental level of just trying to really get a much better understanding of soil water repellents in Western Australia, right through to sort of practical management options. and. Um, yeah, the students have been doing some of that really fundamental research. Um, we've got a, a student who's a really very clever um, soil chemist who's looking at understanding the molecular interactions of the organic compounds that cause repellents and how they interact with soils. And um, he's really starting to, I guess, come up with some, some uh, theories and, and some new knowledge, which is actually changing the way soil water repellents will be thought of um, at a worldwide scale and the understanding that he brings might help us to target treatments better in the future. And then we've got another student who's looking at how, um, what are the environmental factors that influence the way water repellents is expressed. So how does um, moisture and, and humidity and temperature and, and soil pH and things actually affect water repellents. And then another student who's looking at really trying to understand the interaction of water repellents and crop nutrition. Steve, what essentially, growers are always eager to follow up uh, the, the podcast for, for more information. What are the resources or publications that might be available to help them maybe um, assess economics or practicalities of the way to go? The, the things that have been developed through the Soil Constraints West project. Yeah, so I guess one of the um, useful tools that's um, uh, out there at the moment is um, is a ROSA um, financial comparison tool. And um, that stands for the ranking options for soil amelioration. And that just allows you to um, put in several zones across a farm um, to put in the types of constraints that you have. And it will give you an indication of which are some of the best treatments or even sets of treatments to use for the sorts of um, constraints that you have. And the likely um, sort of some idea of the types of returns that you might get over time. Um, there's also some um, e-books available um, through the iBooks store and they are actually giving you some background and some further knowledge on um, 
soils and soil constraints um, and there's really a lot of good information in those. And then um, through the GRDC um, research updates, um, a lot of the, there's a lot of papers that um, the different projects from Soil Constraints West have produced over the years and presentations and, and they're available um, on the website, um, the GRDC website and so that's uh, another really good resource for some of the outcomes of the projects. So in summary Steve, what would you uh, leave growers with? What advice in regard to this particular project and, and facing soils constraints? Well look, I guess one of the exciting uh, things is, is that uh, once you understand uh, the constraints that you have, there are, there are options that are available. And what this and, and some of the other projects within Soil Constraints West have proven is that really um, these can be very profitable and can actually improve your crop water use efficiency um, for you know, many crops uh, into the future once you've started to fix some of these problems. So I think um, it's really worth growers uh, sort of looking into it to test some of these options and um, you know to talk to growers that have done it and to really sort of understand whether it's got a fit for them because we certainly have seen some really exciting outcomes and it really has um, improved growers bottom line. Dr Steve Davies from WA's Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. Asking the questions was Deb Bishop. Steve has already mentioned where to find more information, so nothing left for me to say other than you've been listening to a GRDC podcast. I'm Tony Crowley.